Breaking. 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 The imposter. The imposter. Imposter. Breaking. The imposter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking the Imposter. I'm here again as your host, Jermaine, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest, Liam Murray. Liam is a senior product designer and discovery lead at Clear. And I just want to know, how do you define those roles? Sorry, Jermaine. It's actually senior product manager. I don't just not to mislead people instead of designer because I'm definitely not a designer. <laughs> I, I'm going off of my brain where we took UX design courses together. So my brain is like, right, yeah, no, product, product designer, but manager, 100%. So could you explain a little bit more about those what those roles are? Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I, as, as you mentioned there, I'm a discovery lead uh, here at Clear, but I'm also a senior product manager. Um, so what we do at Clear um, is that we have a green tech platform uh, where it's based on water management for utilities. It's actually, I like to think of it more as a mission than a job. Um, it's something that has definitely kept me really engaged um, in, in the work that we do. Um, so I, when I say discovery lead, a big part of what we do at Clear is um, everything is very, very user centric. It's probably one of the first companies that I've worked at, uh, at that's take that, taken that really seriously. Um, I've worked in a lot of companies before, and I think a lot of people can probably resonate with this. If you've worked in uh, software and the building of technology, a lot of companies don't take discovery very seriously at all. Um, and a lot of the time it's just ideas coming from product managers that end up getting implemented, which people in the end never really love. Um, so a big part of the mission here at Clear is to really understand what users are after and how that's done is, um, we have a program that we run. Uh, where we have uh, user workshops and that's carried out across the month. Um, and on the side of that too, the other half of my job is to go and actually implement and facilitate a development team to get that work implemented. So it's very exciting. Uh, we're in the middle of a product launch right now um, and there's some really nice new features coming out. So it's wonderful to see things come from discovery to inception and we'll get back into that loop of things again. So uh, yeah, that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. Oh, that's crazy. I don't hear a lot of roles that are discovery lead. Usually from what I've known in the industry, we have like user researchers that'll go and take that and just run with it and try to understand how about the product and about the users and all of those things. But how do you think that role came to be within your company and how is it like remaining so effective for you? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think um, just to answer your question about the lead portion of it and how that ties into like multiple different roles. I think working for a startup like Clear, um, you're always very light on the ground when it comes to personnel, just part of startup life. Um, there's myself and another a designer and product manager um, who work on that program. Um, and I think my past experience of working with UX and having a, a qualification in UX and also my, my previous sort of like uh, design capabilities kind of gave me that edge to implement um, a process that would work for the company and bring a lot of ideas to the company to uh, to get that program put in place. So I think really that's how that, that sort of um, lead thing came into place. We were really hungry to put that uh, process in so that everything we did was very user centric. And I think to date it's worked really well it's a, allowed us to put that sort of um, that structure in place where any team could plug themselves into it. Um, and it's very early stages yet. So um, it's really about having that uh, 
that framework that teams as we um, expand and bring new teams in that we can plug into it and everybody can just work from that and as we bring on new people for different roles in the whole ux space um, they'll definitely find their place in there and plug into those amazing so it's like when you were going into that process and you're starting at the company you helped to create that role for yourself from your knowledge that you've grown before and i know with startup you're mentioning that you're wearing multiple hats you're always on the ground making sure you see things to do but you'd like deliberately said like hey i like that hat right there i'm gonna hold that for a bit 100 <laughs> percent, and i think that can be a problem because i'm one of those people that i like all the hats um <laughs> but I, I think you have to be careful to not take on too many hats um i think everybody who knows me and work knows that i tend to take on a lot just because i enjoy it um, so I think you've got to be very careful to pick and choose the things that you really feel passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're going to put your time and energy into that, it should be for the things that you love and definitely the discovery element of it for me is a big thing. Uh, and also the product management side of it, which is something I'm incredibly passionate about. Mm -hmm. And being somebody that's so open to wearing those different hats and you're just like, oh yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. How do you then take a step back after you realize like, these are my bread and butter that I'm going to allocate most of my time to? How do you create a, like blockers for yourself so people aren't just like, oh, hey, Liam, I heard you like to do this and I heard you like to do that. So here's some more work on your plate. How do you manage those expectations? Yeah. Oh, well, that is a really good question because uh, I think we all struggle with this one. I think it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big problem, I think, across most organizations. I think if you're a doer, um, there's there's a really great phrase that I heard recently. It's your your say do ratio. So the things that you'll say you'll do versus the things that you actually do. Um, and I would say my say do ratio is very very high. So I think one of the biggest things that you can input uh, or implement into your own sort of like um, strategy for work is ensuring that you don't overcommit to things that you know that you don't have the bandwidth for. Um, particularly in a startup, I feel like it's so busy uh, that there's many, many things that you could pick up and do because you just see so many areas for improvement. Um, so I think something I try to implement as a strategy is to give realistic expectations to people about what's possible given the current workload that's on. Um, and um, yeah, your say-do ratio, I like to keep that quite high. So it's about managing those expectations by trying to do everything that you say you'll do but not overcommit to the things that you know you're not going to get to. That can be tough for a lot of people. Yeah, I think one of the aspects that I know where I found really difficult to do is really to create those definitions of how much is too much work. How do I know when my say is outmatching my do? So how do you, right. how do you kind of measure that for yourself of this is a say that is going to be a little bit out of my current do capabilities. Yeah, I think uh, trusting your gut instinct, I think is really important. If you're in a conversation with somebody where you feel like the boundaries are being pushed a little bit on what it is that you're able to, to give, I think your gut always tells you that during that conversation. I think there's always a part of you that wants to come up to meet somebody where they're at, because there's that fear in the back of your mind that if you don't meet them where they're at, or you don't come and do it, or it's a fear of saying no. I think that's a real difficult thing for a lot of people. And I suffer with that a lot. Um, the inability to push back on people and say no, um, it's such a tough one. And I think I'm getting a little bit better at it. I think what you need to really avoid is letting it get to a stage where it festers, you become bitter about the fact that you're doing all the work. 
And then you start to get a little bit cranky with people about the amount that's being put on your plate. And if you're a real doer and you're always putting time into the amount of work that you're that you're doing and you take everything on, a lot of that is you who causes that and not other people. Other people by nature will just take advantage of the fact that you're open for business um, because they, they don't know what's going on in your head. So um, yeah, I think it's about having strict boundaries on yourself and realizing, being introspective and realizing that you are the person who takes a lot of this on and saying no is okay sometimes because it actually helps place boundaries where people know that you can take on all of the things that they think you can. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much looking at what everybody else in the workplace is looking at seeing because all they could possibly be seeing is, oh, Jermaine's taking everything. Okay, it's no problem. Like, yeah, let's keep on bringing not making it their responsibility to be accountable for them coming to you as you take accountability to say, this is what my limit is. This is what I have to do and not put it on somebody else. Yeah. And it's funny. I've had things said to me, you know, in workplaces where, oh my God, you're a machine. Like you're, you're, I see you online at like eight o'clock and you're doing things and God, how do you fit all these things in plus the things in your personal life? And I don't think that that's a badge of honor. I don't think it's a trophy or anything that anybody should wear. I think people mistakenly see it as that. And I'm guilty of doing that myself where I'll go, oh my God, that's great. People think that I'm great. The reality of it is, is that that's not healthy. Um, and I think it's very important to spot that it's not healthy for yourself. There's a reason why other people don't do it because it's not sustainable long-term and you're likely going to burn out very quickly um, and not be able to sustain that long-term. So I think it's important for your own mental health and your own physical health to make sure that you're not burning the candle at both ends and you're being very realistic about your what you can take on as a capacity and be okay with that. It's okay to say no and it's okay to not work yourself to death. Yeah, I think... I wonder if one of the reasons why people think they need to work that muscle and burn at both ends is because it gets more recognition. Or when you see people give praise, it gives that kind of dopamine hit of like, oh, man, I'm doing yeah. something good. Like, this is really great. Like the company's talking about me. We got that out. And they're the one that's actually being affected by by it more so than it needs. Like you try to cover up all the all the specks and dust, but you're putting so much work taking those tweezers and getting that last small grain out <laughs> yeah for sure and i think uh for me something personally that i would say has attributed to that type of behavior um where it's the the pretty much not being able to say no i think it definitely stems from your own personal sort of um uh how you see yourself um in the sense that your insecurities about whether you feel good enough. I would say that it all ties very much so back to that. Not feeling good enough to be in the position that you're in or not feeling good enough to move ahead. Um, and that whole idea, like you touched on there about recognition, about it being a primary driver behind why you want to be seen to be able to do everything. Um, I, I've been in companies where I've seen all these people getting recognition and say, oh my God, they're the best, they did this, they did that. But I've also seen those people stay stagnant in their role for a very long time and never move ahead. And I think that's important to spot that and see that just because you get all this stuff done doesn't mean that you're going to go anywhere with it. Um, but just back to the whole thing about the insecurity thing, I think it's really important to spot that in yourself and that if you do have insecurities in yourself about why you're doing these things, is it for recognition? Is it for people to pat you on the back? That is just a quick hit of dopamine, like you point out that is not going to last and you're going to be back to square one again in a few days where you're looking for that that next hit from people to say you're the man you're you're doing a great job so toxic behaviors i think in yourself that lead to that type of burnout 
um, I think it, yeah, it's important to really spot it when you can and do something about it. That's definitely something I haven't really looked at it from this frame of mind and perspective before, because I could even see it with myself where you want to just go and be like, look, look at all that I'm doing. Look how crazy I am. People are looking at you like, oh my gosh, how do you do it all? How are you thinking? And you're just like, well, I'm kind of, yeah. kind of dying this week, but like, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for wondering <laughs> if I yeah. was okay at the end of all this, but it does make, make a lot of sense where it's not so much what's happening around us is how are we taking control of our own time our own feelings our own space so we can get things done and not trying to i think it's a concept that i've been looking at a lot more not trying to like punch or just take too many steps up where you're actually having to put more hours in now versus having a gradual progress that starts yeah. to work exponentially it's like no nah, i'm just gonna skip like to level five no 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 i don't need like two to four come on come on they love yeah. me when i work the midnight hour and i make it look like i'm at five <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I think um, as well, I used to take pride in that a lot, you know, oh, somebody mentioned I was online at eight o'clock and it's like, oh my God, that guy's a machine. Again, not a badge of honor. I think we mistakenly see it as that. Um, and I think when you recognize that it is more toxic for yourself to behave like that. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There are people who have their own companies who they work around the clock. And I think, you know, again, there's an unhealthiness to the amount that you work in that aspect too. But I think there's everything in moderation. You know, I always go by that. I think it's really important to moderate yourself and ensure that there's balance. Because um, again, you'll burn out really quickly and you can't sustain that long term, I don't think. Yeah. And how did you how did you get yourself out of that like working where people started looking at you as a machine and things like that? Like, How did you make that transition to a more balanced lifestyle? I didn't. <laughs> Simply, I just haven't. Um, I, I still think it's an issue. I don't know if it's ever going to go away. Um, I think I'm cognizant of it. Um, I think it's something that I think about quite a lot. And I, I sometimes finish in the evening and I come up from work. Sometimes I, I'll stay until like eight o'clock uh, or nine o'clock doing things that I think need to be, to be put out and done. And I think about why am I doing this? Um, like, who is it for? Is it for me or is it for the greater good of what we're trying to achieve. Um, and I think, again, if anything that I've gone by the compass of my life, um, it is definitely being introspective and questioning yourself. There's something that comes up like a lot in product and discovery and user experience design and everything else in software, which is the whys. Why, 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 why am I doing this? I think when, when you question the whys for everything, you come to a lot of stark realizations that you don't necessarily want to hear the truth on. Um, but I think you definitely, when you ask yourself those questions, you do, you do bring that up in your head when you're in the middle of doing it and you're like, oh, here I go again. I'm sitting down here at seven o'clock. Why am I doing this? Oh yeah, because that's the reason why. And I think it will definitely keep you a lot more cognizant about your limits. And I also think you need to be very careful too about your family and how it affects your family. I don't have kids right now. And, um, my wife also works incredibly hard. So I think that's given me excuses to go and do that additional work where the time is available to do it um and again my circumstances may change at some point and it's just not possible to sustain that for other personal reasons but i think while it's there i tend to make excuses for it and just take it so i need to be better with that for sure what are some strategies that you think are effective at least at least for you understand what's what's happening you could probably find cues when you're like okay 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 that side of the candle is a little bit a little bit too much how do yeah. you how do you help yourself with that transition of burnout and not feel it 
as heavily or get yourself out of it if you didn't catch it fast enough? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, if I think if I was to jump to an outer body experience and have a conversation with myself about this, the advice that I would probably give to myself would be, um, be cognizant that when you're sitting on at work, uh, like seven o'clock at night and you see that nobody else is on Slack except for you, um, that that's your cue to go home. You know, it's, um, I think that's something that I'm going to try and adopt. Another thing is that, um, having things outside in your personal life, like your hobbies and making the time to do those things, fill your personal time with things that are better for you from a mental perspective. Something I've been meaning to do for a while now is to go back to the gym. I taught myself to swim last year. Um, I really want to go back to do that, get, get fit and healthy again. Mm -hmm. And I think there's dopamine hits from that, that you're not going to get from work and it's healthier for your body. So, um, I think that's definitely going to be something I'm going to employ moving forward. Um, and, uh, I guess other things too, is that if people are telling you that you're a machine, it's because of something wrong. So when you do hear something like that, it's about understanding the fact that people see you as overworking. And if you, if you do, well, then you need to take sort of like the lead from that and say that, okay, I'm being seen as being somebody who overworks. I think I need to have a conversation with myself about that and see if that's sustainable and healthy long-term. Yeah, I get you. I get you. It's just like making sure you're reflecting and seeing what's there. And one thing that you mentioned is continuing to asking the why and the why and the why. There's two more whys that you forgot in the, <laughs> in yeah, the realm yeah. of design thinking, right? But my question is now, why, why do you want to do this? Like what motivates you to be a product manager and a discovery lead? I know you touched on it briefly on the things why you like about it, but like why, why would you put so much effort into it? What makes you stay those late hours? Yeah, such a great question, uh, Jermaine. I think um, I think there's two different answers to this one uh, for me. The first one would be taking away the organization that I work for for a second and just thinking about product management as a whole and just design. Um, I don't want to be cliche and say I get a lot of um, sort of like personal satisfaction in the fact that I'm helping shape the uh, the tools that are out there for people to use in their day, their daily lives. I feel like technology is pretty much everywhere we go now. It's in the palm of our hands. Uh, being able to help shape uh, those experiences for people and to say that I, I played a part in bringing that to life, it's very, very satisfying for me to do that. Um, especially when you're working towards the, uh, the pain points that people are really feeling in their daily lives with the solutions that they have. I think a lot of uh, organizations fall into the trap the bill trap of I'm the product manager. I know what's right for the customer. I'm going to build it and put it out there. The satisfaction I get from hearing pain points from people, not hearing the pain points because that's not satisfying, but being able to solve for them and see that what we've done has actually relieved people. It's taken stress out of their day and it's given them back more time to do the things that are more important. And the reason why they studied to do the degree that they did. A lot of the, the customers that we have, they spend so much time in administration work that they don't even do the things that they did their degree for. Um, and they just, they're basically a glorified admin person. And a lot of what we're trying to do in the organization that I work at is to take those admin tasks away from people and automate it. And then secondly, just to jump into the organization that I work for a little bit, um, a huge part of why I definitely work a lot of longer hours and do more work, um, is because the mission of what we're on at clear is incredibly inspiring to me. It's, um, the fact that water is such a scarce resource and right now 
we're in a position where we can do something about it. We can put technology in place that helps conserve it. We can put processes and systems in place that help water utility people do their jobs better so that they can focus on the real problems with water. Um, that's hugely inspirational to me. And um, our, our co-founders are massively inspirational to me too. So I think a lot of what I do is based on that. It feels like a mission. Um, and if you're in a job where you feel like it's more of a mission and you're not being a mercenary, I think you're in the right type of role. Yeah, so it's coming back to a why. Even yeah. as you're looking for work and you're finding your job, it'd be like, okay, I could always go into these extra hours because I know if I make sure we get this done right, this is going to help those people that I was sitting down and understanding during the discovery phase. Yes. Got it. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. That's a lot of information that we got. I think it's really good that you're aware of it. And to some degree, it sounds working the extra time is fairly reasonable. You just have to make sure when it gets to the level of your boundaries aren't set for all the extra things that you're doing. So because I'm, I'm imagining like what you're doing now, these are things that you're choosing to do. Not really that other people have come and said, hey, Liam, could you, could you just do like spend an extra 100%. two hours doing this? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think if anything, any extra hours that I do or work I put in is definitely voluntary. Um, I don't think there's any, that, that's the one thing I love about our organization actually is that um, our founders and even the culture of the team is that mental health is incredibly important. Um, we have no meeting Fridays uh, to make sure that people have the space to do the work that they that they need to do without being constantly in meetings. Um, and like uh, we were away for a retreat recently at work where our co-founders basically said, over the holidays, we want people to completely switch off and we do not want to see you online because you need to take that time to rest your mind and take a break if you're going to come back to the mission next year. And that's just so inspiring. It's They are the types of things that keep you really inspired to work in, in an organization like that. And I'm really grateful for it. It's just such a wonderful organization to work for. Awesome. And for you, sounds like you're going to have to appear offline for a few days of the, of the break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today I was on a call and yeah, <laughs> today I was on a call where somebody was like, Oh, you're, you're off from, you know, Friday. And I was like, yeah, I'm off. And I gave the quote fingers. Uh, but the reality is, is that I really am off from them. But if I choose to come on to do anything, that's, that is really voluntary. Yeah. You come and get that, that idea in the middle of the night. You're like, no, this must yeah. be worked on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You got to keep that at bay for another few weeks until you come back. Awesome. Awesome. And we talk about the work that we do. And I think a lot of people give their identity to the work that they do. But how would you define your own personal brand? If we look at you more holistically, how would you define your brand? Yeah. Great question. Um, I've thought about this one very hard. Uh, and again, I think really what it comes down to is brutal honesty. Um, I am one of those people who I'm honest to a fault. Um, I think it has definitely got some upsides, uh, but I would say for the most part, depending on who you surround yourself with in your life and the organization that you work for, it can definitely have a lot of disadvantages. Um, definitely honesty plays a huge part in who I am. I would say the second thing is curious. I'm incredibly curious as a person. Um, I am often called University of YouTube and Captain Google um, just because I pretty much need to know how everything works uh, at all times in order to understand, empathize, and move forward with it. And I think that's really ties into a lot of what I love about the things that I do at work. 
Um, so yeah, I would say they're definitely the two big pieces on my brand, honesty and curiosity for sure. Nice. And how, how has being brutally honest gotten you in trouble? <laughs> or you how, how has it, how has it not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How is it not? Uh, it's probably more the, the question there. Um, I would say that there's definitely been some, some personally challenging moments in my career where that honesty has not gone down well at all. Um, I would say I've struggled a lot to really be very careful about my opinions on things. I think it's very important to have a, a well-structured opinion on something that's informed and educated. And I think it took a really long time for me to get to that spot. I think when I was a little bit younger in my career, I was very, very quick to put an opinion out there without it really being validated correctly. Um, and I think it definitely did not rub well with a lot of people. And I would say it definitely held me back in an organization that I worked in where I almost got a name for being too opinionated and being too honest. Um, so I've had things said to me by people like, um, keep your effing opinions to yourself. When we go in here to this meeting, just don't open your mouth. And they were all very hurtful at the time, but there are also opportunities for inspection, you know, on yourself, uh, to be introspective and look at yourself and say, well, why would somebody say something like that to me? And a lot of the time people will tell you things like, oh, don't listen to them. That's just a reflection on themselves. But I also think that you've got to be a little bit more curious about it because while it may be a reflection on them, there may also be a little bit of truth in what they've said that I think you need to inspect on yourself. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, there's definitely been some, some moments where I've had difficulty in my career where that honesty and that brutal honesty has not voted well for some things. I think it goes to some of the things that you were saying of being like introspective and just making sure that when you're receiving that commentary on who you are and you know, you are to be deep inside of your core, that will be like, okay, let me take a second, not react to it. Let's realize like what is true and what is not true. Why would they say something like that before you just instantly go and be like, nothing's wrong with me. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean you're talking about me like that? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that, um, you know, there's, uh, you touched on something there, which I think is really important. It's about reacting, you know, how you react to situations. When that, when something like that was said to me before I went into a meeting, I, I, I had a very, very, um, senior person say that to me before I went in and did a presentation to a very large customer. And it threw me so far off that I could not even think straight when I went into that room. And it really hampered how I presented. Um, now you can look at that and say, well, that's really bad leadership. And that somebody did that to you right before you went into, into a call. Um, but at the same time too, it's kind of like that. They're the things that make you uncomfortable and help you grow. I would say that if somebody made a comment to me like that now, before I went into a meeting, I definitely wouldn't react to it in the same way I would have eight, nine years ago, 10 years ago. Um, I think it's very different now in how I would deal with it. Yeah, it's like, it's still something that we'd have to, it takes a lot of work. That's probably still be jarred by anybody. Whoa, 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 what are we, what are we talking? We got like three minutes. Are you going to say that to me? Like, yeah. what? you're cussing at me? Like, wait, can we talk about when it was that bad that we actually had to have this level of sternness towards me? <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, it, it, for, I don't think that anybody could ever fully get over things like that. I think it's, um, it's definitely not, it's not nice. And I would never, tr never personally do that to anybody myself, but, um, I think that it definitely shapes you and it helps you 
grow a thicker skin. I think the corporate world is quite a difficult place to work in, um, especially if you're not used to it and you've never really worked in it before. To come in and see how how difficult it can be, I think, is is jarring for a lot of people. Um, so having worked in it now for coming on 12 years now, uh, I think I've definitely grown a thick skin for, for some things that get said. And I think you kind of have to let it wash off, not let it consume you. Yeah, it's like going and taking that time, not putting it on other people. This is, again, like what we were talking about earlier. Instead of them putting their work onto you of thinking about this way, they're putting their idea of a perception of you that you have to kind of take back and be like, where did this come from? This can't just come from thin air. They can't be the a-hole. What am I the a-hole? Like, what's what's going on here? Yeah. Just like really taking the time to think about it. And it might not always be at the moment, but learning to bite your tongue then. And then <laughs> try to get yeah it at the heat yeah of it. and 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 yeah you know to your point it, it is one of those things where when it happens it's just so jarring that it knocks you off your your top train and it's very hard to get back into it especially if you prepped yourself for like the presentation where your your head is in it it just completely knocks you out of it so very much so a challenge and um you know as we've alluded to I think there's better ways to handle those things but um that is the reality of of working in some organizations and and uh, the industry that we work in, I think. Yeah, just take what you could learn, take the insights and then move forward because you clearly it has had an effect on you that's been positive because you were more aware of next time I'm going to make sure that before a meeting, nobody's ever going to say this to me again. That's... <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. And I think even if, if something was said, I think it's more about understanding that sometimes it's coming from uh, first of all, not great leadership on their behalf and being being very cognizant of that. And um, also, too, it sometimes comes from a place where they're incredibly stressed out for probably other reasons that are nothing to do with you, but you just unfortunately ended up on, on the brunt end of the stick for it as well. Fair enough. Fair enough. So looking at brand, I want to switch it back over to something a little bit more positive and as we go yeah. and understand a little bit more. And within this past year, could you just like, Help us understand what was one of your biggest goals you've accomplished? Ooh, what a question. Um, yeah, I think to answer that, honestly, I would say one of the biggest goals that I think I've accomplished is a change in mindset about how I, how I look at myself. Um, I would say that given about a year and a half ago, um, I was very much in a situation where I was working in a role where I was kind of spinning my wheels. I wasn't really going anywhere with it. Um, I had been in the job for a long time. Um, didn't feel like I was personally or professionally grown from that role, but then also didn't have the confidence in myself to be able to move out of it. And I was kind of just caught in this perpetual circle of, will I stay? Will I go? Will I stay? Will I go? And that went on for nearly two years before I actually had the courage to actually get out and do it. So I would say one of the goals that I had for myself was to come to a realization that I was worth a lot more than what I gave myself credit for. And you can be introspective and see that about yourself because you can hear people say to you all the time, oh, oh, you're, you're much better than that. And you could do so much better than this and you could do so much better than that. But to actually believe that for yourself is a very, very difficult um, accomplishment. It, it's a hard thing to get to and it's difficult to get to as an accomplishment in yourself. And I think what I found was that when I did throw myself out there, it was very uncomfortable. 
I had interviews where I was way out of my depth. My communication was not great. Um, I felt like it didn't go well on the interviews, but with time and practice, it got easier and it got better. Um, and opportunities came up that were better fits for me. And I also started to see value in myself and that a lot of the things that came up in those interviews, I was well-versed in and well able to speak on. And all those preconceptions I had about myself were just not right. So I think I definitely have, during the whole COVID period, moving out of a role that I was in for 10 years and moving out into a space where I was extremely uncomfortable was a huge growth sport for me. And since I've done that, I think I am completely different as a person, as a professional, and how I look at things and how I strategize in my professional life is completely different now. Got it. So it's like giving yourself that room to grow and be like, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to do anything good or do anything bad, but maybe there's something to what these people are saying about me. Let's take that chance on myself so then I could see for myself. You know what? That sucked. But the second time wasn't as bad. Third time wasn't as bad. Oh, I'm actually, exactly. I actually know a little bit more than I thought I did, but I was like psyching myself before I even showed up. Yeah. And also too, I think you can look at these things as opportunities. If you go into an interview where you get asked questions about something that you're way out of your depth on, uh, and you're honest and upfront about it. And you say, I'm sorry, I actually don't know the answer to that question. Um, first of all, that is always a great answer. If you don't know the answer to it, don't pretend you know it. It doesn't really bode well for you. If you, if you try and talk to it and it's, uh, it's not hitting the mark, but I think what's kind of important from that is that go away and research that it will help you grow as a person. Anything that comes up that you don't know, go and figure it out and and find out what it is that you do need to know. Um, you will grow exponentially, I think, in your professional uh, life where things come up that are out of your comfort zone that you go and you research. You will always learn something from it and be able to apply that to what you do on a day to day. Okay, okay. And this is this is this philosophy is where I understand how you got the monikers for YouTube and Google <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> <Yeah>. your learning. <laughs> A hundred percent, hundred percent. That's how I am. It's like, uh, yeah, if I don't know it, I have to figure it out. I think it's um, just very inquisitive and curious about if there's a reason why I don't know it, why do other people know it and what, what drove them to know it? I, I need to know about that. Yeah. And just so from, I'm curious about that. So when you have the gap of like, I don't know what, I don't know what this is. I need to better understand it. And when you actually go and do the research and understand it more, like what does that do for your confidence in that subject matter? And like, for yourself overall yeah there's um i don't know if you've ever heard of uh it's something that is probably being thrown around a little bit at the moment have you ever heard of the dunning kruger effect i've heard of it yeah yeah so the dunning kruger effect for people who don't know what it is it's basically people who don't know what they don't know generally tend to be uh, very blissful in their ignorance and very confident in their opinions about what they know but people who do know a lot and they do know what they don't know um, tend to be um, very hard on themselves in that there's so much out there to learn that it ends up in procrastination and perfectionism and also the worry that there's so much out there to know that I can't possibly learn at all. Um, and that's why a lot of incredibly smart people um, tend to be very quiet in conversations because they realize that there's probably a lot that they don't know about the topic yet. So they tend to stay very quiet about it. So I think it, I, I found that whole concept incredibly interesting because once I get in and I start researching something, I always realize that I'm only on the tip of the iceberg of what's involved behind this. But I think grasping the primary concepts 
of certain things can be very helpful because as you start to learn more about other areas, you start to see correlations and frameworks between things and the thought process of how how something goes from inception to uh, completion. Um, and I think it really helps you really round yourself out in your thought processes around those things. Um, and I think you should always be a little bit understanding on yourself that you're never going to know everything about a topic. It's just impossible and you're going to be a life learner forever. So um, be confident in the things that you do know and be also open to the idea that if somebody tells you that you're wrong, that you might be wrong and it's okay to be wrong. And you just need to listen and uh, have your ears open to be prepared to learn from somebody else. Yeah. And don't be afraid of when you open your eyes to all of those unknowns because yeah. you've gotten to the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And for yourself, one of the things I find interesting is as we accomplish these goals, as you've accomplished your goal of like better understanding yourself, uh, how did you celebrate? Like after you've realized like, you know what, I've gotten more confidence in myself and I'm actually moving into a direction where I can see myself doing things and continually learning. How did you celebrate that? Ooh, uh, yeah, that's a good one because it kind of touches on something very personal for me uh, about celebration of oneself. Um, yeah, how you celebrate success or even the whole idea of success and what that means to people. Um, I think for me, celebrating that sort of growth, I, I tended to always default to rewarding myself with something and the idea that I've worked very hard for it. Therefore, it's time to reward and it's time to go buy something or whatever. Uh, I think as time has gone on and I've definitely matured a lot as a person, I found that those things are quite empty. Um, I was one of those people that I would purchase something for myself to reward myself or you've worked really hard this year you deserve that drone or you deserve that, that, that car or whatever. Um, and I think in the end, you tend to just eventually feel like it's not enough and you want to move on to the next thing. So I think from a celebration perspective, as I've grown as a person, um, I think it's really enjoying that moment with the people who matter to you around you. And, um, one thing that's been huge for me, I think during the COVID period is the fact that when I have had those small successes that myself and my wife have celebrated those things where we'll have a dinner or we'll have we'll half a can of cider together like the crazy drinkers that we are to kind of celebrate those moments and um like one of the things that's sort of coming up for me is like my citizenship which i'm at my ceremony this thursday and i think something like that mini celebration is you know let's celebrate that with like a half a can of cider and sit down and soak the moment in and just be grateful for for what we have. So I think it's about being comfortable and grateful within yourself rather than jumping to the fact that you need to reward yourself. Not that there's anything wrong with rewarding yourself with things. I think it's just, you have to be very, um, cognizant that that can become a habit as well. And also not great for your financial life. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Cause mm -hmm. something like something very small and being okay with the concept that the celebration doesn't have to be big. We're throwing a 30 person yeah. party to celebrate and, that also creates a barrier from like what you're saying. It seems like it creates a barrier of actually executing that celebration. Because if you know, like yeah. I have to, oh my gosh, now I got to go find something that I really, really want and is equivalent to the goal that I made. And I have to go invite yeah. all these people. But like you just made it a really small, more, more like ceremony that you do with your wife and that you know, like, hey, this is a time, as you said, I can feel grateful for it and I can 
enjoy the progress that I've noticed I've made. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think uh, that that would be my way to celebrate now whenever there's been an achievement. Like, for example, recently, I finished the Google Data Analytics course, which took me a little bit of time to do. And when I completed it, I came upstairs to my wife and I did like this little dance across the floor and she was just laughing and she was like, congratulations, I'm very proud of you. And, you know, we just sat down and, uh, you know, we talked about it and just talked about the success of that and about being cognizant of not overdoing it by taking on too much more, but just being grateful for what has been achieved and, and you know, uh, you know, being very careful about not to overextend, which is also quite important. Yeah, that's great. Just find those small moments where you can celebrate and you know you're on the right track. And yeah, I think that's yeah. a good practice to, to keep because I'm I'm not trying to throw a celebration and do like a gender reveal because we all know how sometimes some of those happen to cause bigger bigger problems. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. finding something that really worked for you, works for those around you. And also, I think that's a really good aspect that you brought in because the first time you was like this is something for me that yeah. i'm gonna celebrate i'm gonna buy this for me because i want it but now you're expanding it to this is something that we can celebrate on my behalf so, so yeah it's like that different element where you're not so much in isolation with your celebration and other people are noticing it as that as well yeah that's such a great point uh i think you really hit the nail on the head there it's about going moving from the this is for me to this is for we um, especially if you're in a relationship with somebody or even with your family, it doesn't even have to be uh, a significant other. I think with your family or the people that you care about around you to really celebrate that as a, as a group rather than, you know, be, be silent about it yourself and just celebrating it for yourself. I think the more you can bring it to the people around you, I think the, the nicer it feels. Nice. Awesome. That, I'll take that into practice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. We are done our first segment, and I'm super excited to get into our second segment, some rapid fire segment. This is where we could get as many insights as we can from you that we could share for the audience to take back and go. But a long form conversation is not always the easiest to go and pick out all the lessons, but hopefully with that and this, they could take things to their lives. Are you ready? Oh, I, I hope I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> so what is one attribute that has continued, that has contributed to your overall success and growth? Yeah, such a great question. I would say boldness being, that's something that it took me a really long time to, to grow with, but being bold enough to put yourself out there and take a shot at it. Um, I would say that it has categorically been the number one thing that has driven my success forward in my career. And in my personal life where I've just taken chances um, and believed in myself for that brief stint of time where I believed in myself, it worked out for the for the best. And as that goes on, it snowballs. Um, but also knowing that there's only so much bold that you can be and know your limits. So it's about, yeah, keeping it in moderation, but being bold, definitely. Awesome. And who has been a big inspiration for you? Ah, yeah. Well, what a great question. Inspiration for me. I would say um, my wife actually has been a, a huge inspiration for me. Uh, I know that sounds very cliche and a lot of people may see that as being cliche, but something I think I came into my my marriage or my relationship with my wife where I definitely had a lot to work on personally for myself. And I would say that my wife has been 
incredibly inspirational to me in that she has taken on things with me that maybe others would not have taken on and has helped me work through some of my own personal demons with things in my life and seeing how she takes a lot of that in her stride, but also has so much going on in her own life has been incredibly inspirational over the, the years. And there's not a day that I don't wake up and I look at her and I'm grateful for, for what I have and where I am with her. And yeah, I would say hundred percent. My wife definitely always puts a smile on my face to, to think about that. Awesome. Awesome. And who has been your biggest cheerleader for your success? My mom. <laughs> uh, I'd say my mom has definitely been that person. I think um, every, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, if I'm on a group chat or anything like that, if anything is happening in my life, my mother is there screaming from the hills. And um, I think, you know, I've definitely had trials and tribulations throughout, throughout my life. Um, but one thing I am always grateful for is the fact that having your parents and your siblings there to back you up when the going gets tough, it's an incredibly powerful thing to have. So yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful for, for all of that in my life. Awesome. And what's one lie you had to stop telling yourself? One lie that I had to stop telling myself, I've had a couple of them. I think this is going to be an interesting one. Telling myself that people were judging me. I think that is something I struggled with for a really long time. I think that I've made a lot of progress with that one. But really what that kind of means is I used to kind of come away from things and think, oh my God, that person probably thinks that I'm not capable of this. Or that thing I said, I wonder if they're thinking about that on their end now. Or I'd come away from a meeting thinking, oh, uh, they probably didn't think that I was, uh, uh, I did that right at all. Um, and the reason why that's a lie, and I, I think it's really important for people to understand this, is that people don't have the time to be thinking about you in that capacity. They're too busy thinking about themselves in that capacity. And when you come to that realization that eight to nine times out of 10, people are coming off their calls and they're just thinking about their next call or they're thinking about what's ahead of them in their day or they're thinking about how they were on the call. Um, I think it really helps you put into perspective that we are all in the same boat and we are all struggling through this and we're all just trying to put our best foot forward and nobody is out there to, to go after you or get you. Um, and <laughs> it's hard to get away from that because I think a lot of people put a lot of a lot of time and mental effort into thinking that people come away from things and they feel like the imposter because of it. Um, and really, yeah, over time, it's taken me a long time to get to this, but people don't have the time for that. So you need to spend less time thinking about it ultimately. Awesome. I think that's very well said. So what is a hobby that you do outside of work that keeps you grounded? God, my hobbies are sad, man. <laughs> They're really sad. Uh, but I'm going to get into them anyway, and I'll, I'll tell you about them. Um, one of my biggest hobbies, I've, I've got two main hobbies. Uh, my w One of them was huge uh, for a while, but I've taken a bit of a backseat now for a while with it. Um, I studied photography uh, quite a few years ago. Um, I got into it in a big way, um, and I started doing a lot of landscape photography. Um, I also did headshots as well for a while uh, for people. I got a lot of... Um, satisfaction out of doing that uh, type of hobby. I think it, it's um, it's something where you can sit at, at a computer and 
edit photographs of beautiful pictures um, and edit sunsets. And I, I traveled um, uh, Iceland for 10 days. I backpacked around Iceland by myself for 10 days a few years ago. And I was up at four or five in the morning taking pictures of sunrises. It's such an incredibly beautiful hobby to have, albeit time consuming and expensive. Um, and then my other hobby would be um, planted aquariums. I'm huge into planted aquariums. Uh, very unusual hobby. I think a lot of people raise an eyebrow to this one. But it's um, I started off by I built my own aquarium. Um, so ordered the glass, put the whole thing together. It's a very unusual setup, um, very unusual piece. A lot of people comment on it when they come into the house. But being able to grow tropical aquatic plants in your aquarium and have a whole ecosystem in place um, and for somebody to walk into your home and see that you have what looks like a little slice of an Amazonian river in, in your room, it's, it's an incredible thing to see people's reaction to that. And I put a lot of time into that. It's a lot of work uh, for anybody who is interested in getting into it, but they're definitely my hobbies. I feel very grounded in them. Always beautiful to walk up the stairs when I'm in the middle of work on a stressful day and to see uh, fish swimming in a beautiful ecosystem. Um, so yeah, that's my little and not boring at all <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best advice you've ever received i think i'll have to tie this one back to something that we recently touched on which was in the moments where you think that you're you're not good enough or you're the imposter or that people are sitting there looking at you you know what it's, it's a funny one because i don't think this person will ever uh, hear this podcast i hope maybe they would at some <laughs> stage um but i don't know if they will but this person said this to me once in i had a floundering moment um one day where i nearly fell apart at work because i just didn't think that i was able to do it and i let stress get the better of me and i ended up on a call with this person where i said i don't think i can do this anymore and that person said to me at that moment in time do you think that Everybody goes through the day and doesn't think that at least once in their day in that I think it every day about myself that I'm not able for this, but I just push myself forward and I put my best foot forward with it. And that person was somebody that I looked at and thought they couldn't ever feel like that because they're so good at what they do that there's not a chance that they think about floundering or falling apart or not being able to cope. And to hear that from somebody who was so well put together in their job was an eye opener for me. It really, it really helped me understand that we are all going through the same thing and we're all in the same boat thinking the exact same things. It's just that how you choose to let it affect you is really what matters. And noticing it in the moment and taking that breath and that step back to say, okay, it's not just me, it's everybody. I need to. I need to chill for a second and just take a few breaths here. Uh, incredibly powerful. I think it was life changing for me, to be honest. Yeah, I'm definitely, I definitely feel that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you had 60 seconds with yourself when you just came out of high school, what advice would you give to him? Oh, uh, can I tell him what stocks are the best to invest in? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think um, maybe what I would say to that would be. Oh, such an interesting question. Yeah, I got this. Um, I think what I would say to myself would be the trials and tribulations and hardships that you've been through in your younger years and, and the challenges that you've had along the way. 
should not shape your future. Um, I think a huge part of my 20s was spent letting the events of the past shape the events of the future. And I think if I had to give myself some advice at that point, it would be you have no control over what's happened in the past, but you have control of what's going to happen tomorrow. So put your time and your effort into worrying about not worrying about those things, but into building the best version of yourself for those events that are to come instead of spending the time on where you, you feel like a victim in some way for the things that have happened in the past. I think it's a life changing mindset that when you get into that and you start to realize that you have zero control over the past or the future, but you, what you do have control over is how you can shape yourself to be prepared for the future. I think that's a very powerful thing to, to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. And that was for me anyway. And I think that's the advice I give. Awesome. Awesome. And what is one book that you'd recommend to all of the listeners? I'm going to be really selfish with this one because it's very much so tied to what I do. Um, <laughs> but then again, this is a great book, I think, for anybody, even if you're not in the product world. There's a book called Inspired by Marty Kagan. And essentially that book really gives great insight into how all of the biggest product companies have gotten to where they are today and about how you as a product person, or even if you're not, and you're just a stakeholder in something else, can really understand the uh, the methodologies that people had employed at that time to get that success or make that thing happen. Such a great book, super inspirational, and anybody I've recommended it to have come away with that same feedback that it completely changed their mindset towards how things are built, especially in the technology world. Great. And what's one piece of parting advice that you have for the listeners? I'm going to keep this one to essentially what this podcast is great at, which is um, the whole imposter syndrome. I think there's not a person out there that does not suffer with imposter syndrome. I think anybody who tells you that they don't suffer with it lies. Um, I'm sorry, but they're a liar. Um, Everybody I know uh, has suffered with this at one stage or another. Um, And it's okay. And it's okay to feel like an imposter. I think what's really important to know is that everybody that you look at in your workplace or any client that you're on a call with, they're in a very, very similar situation to you and that they come on those calls just trying to be the best version of themselves and put their best foot forward. But in reality, they're also very aware, especially if they're an incredibly intelligent person, they're very aware of the things that they don't know. And we all feel like that in some way that we're not where we're supposed to be. And that's a good thing because it's a hunger to know more and a hunger to learn more and be that best version of yourself. So try not to look at feeling like an imposter as a bad thing. It's an opportunity to be the best version of yourself and to learn the things that you think you're missing. And um, if you can take that away, I think that might be helpful. Fantastic. And at the end of this, how can the listeners best reach out to you? I'm working on a website actually for myself at the moment. Uh, Something that I feel really passionate about is putting together a product blog and just in general to talk about things like that, but that's not ready yet. So what I would say, if anybody does want to reach out and they just want to talk shop or they just want to talk personal things or anything resonated with them on this call, uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn. Um, If you just look up Liam Murray uh, and my workplace is clear, um, I should pop up pretty quickly there for you. Um, So yeah, I'd be delighted to talk to anybody. Awesome. And I imagine you're going to put your website in your LinkedIn when it's ready, right? 
hundred percent when wow. I get there. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So we'll get there. Liam, thank you. Thank you so much. There's a lot that I learned about myself. I'm glad I could learn more about you. And I know that there's somebody out there that's definitely going to be able to be like, oh my gosh, why does that sound so familiar? Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So I appreciate you coming on and I'm so happy to have you as a guest. Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here. And thank you for having me on. No worries. No worries. Anytime. And everybody that's listening, thank you so much for staying through the whole episode. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking the Imposter. To stay up to date when episodes are released or to become a guest on the podcast, you can visit our website at www.breakingtheimposter.com. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so we can make sure the imposter stays broken. 